0: I'm Anthony Walsh, and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, a show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness, and your longevity. Today, we have a fascinating guest, Dr. Andrew Pruitt. We talk about bike fitting quite a bit, especially on newbie questions. Dr. Pruitt is the man who quite literally invented the bike fit. When we talk about modern bike fitting, what we do is we talk about the work of Dr. Andrew Pruitt. He brings us back to those initial bike fits, some brilliant stories with Taylor Finney's mom, where she's suspended in the air by American football players. And he's bike fitting Connie Carpenter in one of the first known bike fits. He goes on to bike fit all the big stars of our sport and along the way pioneering the equipment which bike fitters now rely on today, like retool and influencing a generation of frame design and specialized through his ergonomic designs. I think you're going to love this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today.
1: So I got a hold of one of um, the Italian national team's um, Bibles. And had a whole chapter on all of the injuries that occur in cycling with absolutely no solutions to them. So I set out to solve those issues. I mean my undergraduate degrees in anatomy, uh, master's degree in sports medicine, none of those prepared me, <laughs> neither of those prepared me fully to be a, a biomechanist. I mean it's, it's, it's the body in motion. There's a lot of interpretation, of the physical exam, not to mention the the motion capture numbers that you see on a screen, there is this interpretation that blends them together, and then rider feedback. You know, uh, the old adage that the customer's always write, they are. A lot of guys want to make sure their bike looks good, leaning against the window at the coffee <laughs> shop. <laughs> Sorry, um, but it's true, and they don't want to have a positive rise stem, or they don't want to have riser bars, or they don't want to have. They'd be so much more comfortable and they'd actually be faster. I mean, comfort equals speed.
0: Before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news to share with you. It's been a game changer recently for me, making a marked difference in my performance, especially when it comes to my sleep. Let me introduce you to Pillar. Pillar is a company that's on a mission to fuse pharmaceutical precision with sports supplementation for athletes just like us. Okay, so we're all familiar with electrolytes and carbohydrates in our race preparation, but Pillar's taking a different route. It's focusing on something called micronutrition. It ensures you're ready to perform even before you hit the start line. It's all about promoting a good night's sleep. It's facilitating effective recovery and replenishing those critical micronutrients so you can perform at your best. Over the past month, I've been incorporating Pillar's triple magnesium into my routine. Every night I take a 30 minutes before bed and I've seen a remarkable improvement in my sleep quality. You'll know that I'm back using a WHOOP device tracking my sleep and the results of that improvement are there in black and white. I've had about a 10% bump in my restorative sleep since I started taking Pillar. I'm waking up feeling refreshed every morning, ready to attack work, podcasts, training, and just the next day in general. But don't just take my word for this. Try it and let the data on your fitness tracker tell you the story. So if you're ready to elevate your performance and your sleep quality, why not give Pillar a try? Head over to pillarperformance.shop and use the code ROADMAN on your local website for 15% off your first order. Or for US listeners, head over to thefeedcom forward slash pillar and use the code ROADMAN for the same 15% off your first order. The details of both of these are in today's show notes. Now let's get into the show. Dr. Andrew, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast.
1: Thank you, Anthony. Great to be here. It's a
0: privilege. Uh, Your work has influenced a whole generation of cyclists, from the best world tour riders to weekend warriors. Now that you're a little less busy than you have been in previous years, how does it feel to reflect on the kind of impact that you've had in the sport?
1: Well, you don't always get credit for the things you've done when you're in the war, when you're fighting the battle. And it's been rewarding over the last few years in retirement to have people continue to look for me clinically or send me messages that, that you, you, I mean, I was on a gravel ride the other day and some guy wrote up to me and said, you don't remember me, but you changed my life or you saved my life. Or I don't ever want to pat my own back or blow my own horn, but it's, it's just been, it's been a great ride, you know, along the way I should have trademarked and I should have patented a few more things that have been kind of stolen away, but Who cares it was a it was a great ride and we did change the sport and um forever grateful that i had that opportunity so
0: if i was to hold the mirror up to myself my breadcrumb trail to how i've come to sit here it's law cycling entrepreneurship podcast if i was to trace that same breadcrumb trail for you into the world of biomechanics and bike fitting what does that look like
1: i started out life as an athletic trainer so in um in Europe, that's the sports physio. So I was I'm the, I was the guy that ran out on the football field when a player got injured. Right, spent 11 years at the Division One University of Colorado on the sidelines in the training room, but I knew there was more to that, and I really wanted to have contact with the athletic public. And Boulder, Colorado, at the time was the hotbed of running. Uh, and cycling, uh, was just beginning to boom in the early seventies and, and, Boulder. So it was the right place at the right time. Right. And there was suddenly this need for post-collegiate athletes to access the same kind of care they were once getting when they were at a, at a college. Right. So Frank Shorter, two-time gold medal was in the marathon. You know, he was the real key that this guy needed help. He was still running at, at, you know, still winning world-class races and, and, he needed help. So I, I went to the university and said, I think we should open the training room, open to the public. I think we should accept insurance, blah, blah, blah. And they said, no, we don't want any public people in our, in our sports medicine facility. So I had actually started doing some bike fits in the back room of the training room. Uh, Connie Carpenter and Davis Finney. I don't know if that's before your time, but-
0: No, I, uh, I know them well. I, more degeneration of Taylor, but like once I dug in from Taylor and traced it backwards, incredible dope. athletes.
1: So, so Connie Carpenter was the first medical bike fit I ever did. And, and um, she had knee pain, and uh, I brought her in the training room with her bike. There was no trainers, no no, no turbo trainers, no wind trainers in those days. So I had one <laughs> of the football players hold her seat like a time trial start, and she pedaled backwards because that's what you had to do. And that was my first medical bike fit. And, and we, did, we started working on uh, saddle height and saddle position, it had more to do with cleats in those days because we nailed the cleats on the bottom of wooden shoes, right? Wooden sole shoes.
0: Oh, my God. I never knew that.
1: You never – yeah, you're too young. So anyway, the shoes had wooden soles, and we actually nailed the cleats on the bottom, just a slotted cleat for a quill pedal, and it had more to do with her need for some float, right? So we were looking for ways to give her float in that slotted cleat, and that just spurred me that, that there's this whole world out there that – is mired in this antique process of how people sit on bikes. So I got a hold of one of um, the Italian national team's um, Bibles, and it had, it's, it's very interesting, I still have it today. They had an English version of it, and it was published in 1972 and had all the ways that, that you sit on a bike and, and for the national team in Italy. And it made a lot of assumptions one, that you were male, two, that you were world class and you know it had a whole chapter on all of the injuries that occur in cycling with absolutely no solutions to them so i set out to solve those issues right so i started doing medical bike fit um and i was using joint angles as my as my landmarks not segment links as all the fit formulas at the time were based on how tall you were how long your femurs were how long your tibias were how long your torso was and those measurements nothing into account about how this person worked those those segments right so along came a um, uh, israeli biomechanist i had moved away from the university i was in private practice seeing just non-surgical orthopedic patients at a uh, orthopedic practice in denver uh, also working at the olympic training center at the same time dealing mostly with cycling but not not all anyway this guy this israeli biomechanist gideon ariel was his name called me and said I've got this motion capture machine I've developed. I'm studying throwing. I'm studying running. I hear you're the cycling dude. If I set you up with all of the hardware, think about this, 1985, all the computer hardware it took to do 3D motion capture, would you study cycling? So I made an agreement with Gideon that I would, I would study how much float we needed. I would study knee pain. And so we, we agreed that he would give me all the setup if I agreed to do the research into cycling biomechanics. There you have it. <laughs> from there came retool, came all the different motion captures technologies, all the things we learned about the way the foot flattens, the way the knee tracks, the way the the hips integrate. It, it all came from this gift from an Israeli guy that said, if, you, if you'll study it, I'll give you the, the tools to study it. And there you have it.
0: It's fascinating. So if you look at, and you rewind a generation before that, like I recently finished reading uh, Road to Valor about Gino Bartali, a, a brilliant book if anyone hasn't read it. And if, if I look at the pictures from that era, Copi and Bartali, they look beautiful on the bike, almost poetic, this symbiotic relationship between man and machine. But others in the peloton don't look as beautiful on the bike. What was their process for bike fitting before this technology came in?
1: Most of the elite riders of those generations were self-selected. They had appropriate flexibility. They had long femoral levers. They had So they, they got to be who they were by a gift, right? By a God-given gift uh, or whoever. Well, I don't want to get into that side of things, but they had a physiological gift, and that's why they got to be the top. So the Italians then said, wow, that's what you must look like on a bike to be fast. So they were trying to make other riders look like elite riders. You can't. You have to make the bike look like you for it to be this symbiotic marriage between the bike and the, and the man. So some of them looked beautiful. Lance never looked very beautiful on his bike. Big hump in his back, couldn't get his back flat in the time trial. But he had another gift that allowed him to overcome that, right? So there, you, you have to be careful with trying to make, wanting to look like somebody else who is successful. Uh, you've got to marry the machine to the rider and not aspire to that. Their processes were just that, what felt good to the elite guy, and then they tried to shadow it from there.
0: So in an attempt to try and bring this complicated process back to something tangible for our audience, can you distill some of the core principles of a good bike fit? Is it all science or is there an art to it as well?
1: Oh, absolutely, there's an art to it. So through my relationship with Specialized, we developed two different fit systems. One was the body geometry fit system, which then when integrated 3D motion capture, it became Retool. We trained over a 1,000 fitters globally. And of that 1,000, there's probably 15 that I would personally refer to, right? So there is definitely an art. Just because you can put the sensors on and read the data on your screen and go, ah, your knee flexion A dead bottom center is 50 degrees. It looks like like your saddle's too low. Well, maybe they're plantar flexing their foot. Maybe they're pointing their toe so much that creates that high knee angle. You have to be able to look at more than just the numbers on the screen. Definitely an art to it. My advice to anybody listening who wants a bike fit or who has some kind of suspicion that they're in need of a position on their bike that they don't currently have, you need to seek out somebody who does a thorough physical evaluation. And if we go back historically, there was no physical examination other than measuring segment lengths prior to bike fitting. Now you need, a, you need an assessment of your foot mechanics, your knee alignment, your flexibility, your hip motion, your spinal motion, your cervical motion. So the thorough physical exam allows them to know what your limits might be on the bike as far as reach is concerned, handlebar drop, saddle position, all those things. So it is it, it is it is the physical exam and how to interpret that exam's findings that's going to create the great fitter from the average fitter who's just reading numbers on a screen.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear you saying that because I have a foot in both camps, so to speak. My background is very much in academia but my riding education, or as the French say, Le Metier Apprenticeship came yes. through France, which is anything but scientific, at least at the time I was there. So I had a little bit of a skepticism. I noticed a local bike fitter here, and he's a retail fitter, and I've heard so many amazing things about retail, but he's not a cyclist, he's a tennis player. And I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. And everybody was saying, why would you not go to the local guy for a bike fit? And it never made sense to me. I always went back to my bike fitter when I was out in France because I I maybe steered too much into the the traditional bike fit there.
1: Well, I I think it's a marriage of both. I I mean, my undergraduate degree is in anatomy, uh, master's degree in sports medicine. And and none of those prepared me, (laughs) neither of those prepared me fully to be a a biomechanist. I mean, it's, it's, it's the body in motion. So you have to, there's a lot of interpretation of the physical exam not to mention the the motion capture numbers you see on a screen there's this interpretation that blends them together and then rider feedback you know uh, the old adage that the customers always write they are right they, they and bike fit is not a one and done it is a an ongoing process um, bodies age juniors need need a bike fit assessment every six months uh, masters Wow in the peak of my work career, my bike position went up. My torso position went up. I had, you know, so the, the, the Roubaix bicycle that from Specialized, right. The the first endurance bike out there was partly, if not mostly my idea. And I said, I want more head tube height. I want more, I want a little suspension in the rear all. And my position kind of went up because I was getting older and I was working a lot, not stretching, not lifting enough. After retirement, and I started getting fit again and really concentrating my position today is the same as it was when I was 35. Fascinating. So it's, it had this big bell-shaped curve. And so bike fit is not a one and done. It is not.
0: So how often do you think a rider over the age of 30 should be getting bike fit, non-professional?
1: Oh, I think a once-a-year look is a... And you should go back. if you If you have faith in the guy that you guy gal you know generic guy who fits you they should be keeping really good records of what your flexibility was what your feet flatten as we age so your need for more arch support more forefoot varus canting is probably going to go up as you age so once a year to have somebody look at you who has known you through this process is a, is a superb idea absolutely
0: For the first time in years, I have really big targets that I'm super passionate about this summer. And although the warmer months are approaching, I don't want to slip into that trap I see so many riders falling into, just riding around with no focus and no aim with their friends simply because the good weather is starting to arrive. I'm still using my Watt bike almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way into my target events, Rift, Migration Gravel, and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be partnering with Wattbike. The Wattbike Adam it's sitting next to the desk in the recording studio. And if I have an error between interviews, I jump on. It's removing all those friction points for me. No more 10 minutes setup up on folding legs, banging my knees off stuff, connection issues. It just works every single time. The Adam is perfect for riding the Zwift because it has those crisp gear changes. Boom, boom. 1% power accuracy and max gradient capability of 25%. If only my legs had a max gradient capability of 25%. Even if I'm riding those steepest climbs on Watopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding that custom gearing setup. So if I'm riding a particularly hilly route, I'll select a more climbing suitable gear ratio. It's the business. If you're looking for an indoor trainer, if you're looking to stay sharp this summer and not lose that hard-earned fitness over the winter, I couldn't recommend the Bike setup any higher. It's the last indoor trainer you're ever going to need. Head on over to whatbike.com. and check out their full range. I had a chance to chat with the Factor founder Rob Chetellis on the podcast. It's worth going back to check out that episode. I was super impressed with him personally. Factor are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with aerodynamics in bike design at the moment, but they're doing it with a social conscience and that's what's so impressive for me. They're mindful of that environmental impact, paying employees a living wage and resisting the urge to relocate production like so many competitors to lower cost labor markets. I'm super proud to be riding Factor bikes for the upcoming season. If you're considering buying a bike for yourself, put me a DM over on Instagram or over on Twitter, and I'm going to give you a personal introduction to the guys at Factor and make sure you get the very best possible experience. One of the most common questions we get sent into the podcast for Q&A episodes is a rider, male or female, complaining of back and or neck pain. What's the likely cause of that?
1: Twofold. One is lack of flexibility in those two body parts. So they're asking themselves to forward flex further than they can for an extended period of time and then cervically extend. So if your reach is too long and too low, you're gonna cause your back to bend to get down there. And then you're to look down the road, you have to cervically extend. So it's typically too long and too low. You know a lot of guys want to make sure their bike looks good leaning against the window at the coffee <laughs> shop. <laughs> Sorry, um, But it's true. And they don't want to have a positive rise stem or they don't want to have riser bars though. They don't want to have, they'd be so much more comfortable and they'd actually be faster. I mean, comfort equals speed. I just did a, um, another podcast recently that the, the one before me were two guys that I trained talking about aerodynamic fitting. And then I followed it up the next week with a comfort uh, podcast that, that, you know, to kind of play on the back of the aerodynamic fitting. And the bottom line, is, I said, you guys forgot to mention the word comfort because you put – oh, who's uh, – Sepp Koos is leading the, 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 the Volta right now. Also, a young patient of mine several years ago. If you ask, if you look at his time trial position, which he did, I hope you're watching the, I hope everybody's watching the Volta. <laughs> his time trial position was less than optimal because he's never had to ride a time trial in a stage race for the, for the leader's jersey. He's never had to. So they've, they've never spent the time to optimize his, his time trial position. He was comfortable on his time trial bike, but yet rode the time trial of his life. Point being is that comfort and speed go hand in hand. Yeah, this was
0: my experience when I went to a wind tunnel before. I went to the wind tunnel, and time is money, as you know, when you're in the wind tunnel, especially as you know, a non-brand, you're there as a customer, and I was there as a student athlete, so I'd scrape together everything to get to the wind tunnel. Yep. And they give you a position that you can hold in the wind tunnel for four or five minutes, and now, knowing what I know and having you know amazing people like Josh Portner on the podcasts from Silca, the wind tunnel should be followed up the second day with a track testing session, so you come away from the wind tunnel with a range of positions and then go to the track to find that trade off between comfort and speed. I came out with just a fast position yeah. but when I brought that position back to the road, like i couldn't hold it for more than five six minutes. I was in agony.
1: Well, it's a three-step process. I mean, so S Racing, which is the racing division of Specialized, I helped start that. And Roman Korchinger was our first guinea pig. We 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 actually coached him. We took care of all of his positions, blah blah blah. And, and we started out just in the lab with three-dimensional, or uh, three three uh, D motion capture, trying to optimize his position biomechanically. We then went to the physiology lab measured his, his physiology parameters in that position. And then we went to the track to see how long he could, he could he sustain it for the four or five minute aspect of the track. And then we went to the road. Um, then we followed him in the car and stopped him every 15 minutes and took, took blood work. Right. So it, but not everybody can afford to do that. Right. I mean, that's So we were experimenting with Roman to be able to sell that to the other teams and then we start doing do the whole team, so you 're right it's it's the fit lab, the physiology lab, the velodrome, the road and that position is going to migrate to the one that's actually usable when you pin on a number
0: there's another common ailment i 'd love to bounce off you of. as I've transitioned out of a hardcore kind of road racing career i 've got more into bike packing, ultra distance, and one of the common problems in ultra distance seems to be numb hands. And I've spoken to, you know, Lael Wilcox, uh, Sophie and Shelley, like some of the best in the world at it. And they all just seem to say, oh, it's just kind of part of ultra. But a friend of mine who I rode Badlands with last year, Aaron Kearney, he's also coaches for the coaching company I have, amazing rider, and he's a bike shop mechanic. And last year after Badlands, I think he was two months where he didn't have full sensations in his hands. What's the likely cause of that?
1: Several. Uh, You got too much weight on your hands um, and duration, right? So neuropathy or nerve inflammation is gonna occur either from one big blow or low-grade trauma over a long period of time. And so I would suspect that, that you've got too much weight on your hands that's number one. So the bars probably ought to come up. So how do you, how do you determine bar height? So th- there's this sweet spot between being too far forward flexed and being too upright. If you're too upright, there's too much weight on your on your saddle. If you're too far forward flexed, there's too much weight on your hands. There is this sweet spot in the middle, say, it's called it 45 degrees of torso angle, where you're splitting, you're distributing the weight, saddle, feet hands and your core is responsible for you to maintain that balance and keep the pressure off your hands so core strength is crucial to hand numbness hand pressure to be able to extend the spine you know yeah core core, core strength for cyclists man if you were to take the second tidbit away from um joe friel last week it'd be core strength right never give up and core strength <laughs> um, So raising your handlebars, strengthening your core, and then metal handlebars. Alloy handlebars just don't dissipate road vibration like, like carbon bars do. Bar wrap. What are you, what kind of glove are you using? All those things to minimize the vibration and the pressure. It's a combination of back strength, bar height, bar material, bar wrap material, and glove padding.
0: I love your story about fitting Connie Carpenter and the athletes holding her up and pedaling backwards. We've taken such a giant leap forward between then and now. If you're to look ahead and you're to project the next 10 years, is there anything you see that could revolutionize bike fitting? I'm thinking data analytics through artificial intelligence, or is the human element always going to be irreplaceable?
1: Well, it's funny you ask because I was doing it, well... Several years ago, I was doing a talk in, in China at the, basically the MIT, you know, uh, of China. And there's this room full of Chinese nerds with their headphones on for translation, you know, and I'm sweating bullets And you got all these really smart, young Chinese kids. And, and, and <laughs> as always, you say, are there aren't any, any more questions? No hand goes up. Lecture's over, and then they line up to ask you their one personal question, right? That's just so typical of giving a lecture. And this one little guy comes up to me. He's looking around like he's, you know, looking for a, the bad man behind the curtain. He shows me his phone. He goes, I want to show you the program I've developed. He's got his iPhone and he's developed this homemade app for his phone for doing 3D motion capture at home. Set your phone up on a, on a book stand or something. And so automated bike fit. I mean, so in my mind, I'm going, this guy scares me because he's going to take my job, right? <laughs> 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 um but it, it, it's so true. So there are now several apps out there that you can do a home automated bike fit. And it's going to tell you, raise your saddle rate. And they're all working on algorithms and, and, and bell-shaped curves of norm, right? So it's going to suggest the saddle height based on an algorithm, not based on your hamstring flexibility. So if we can do an automated physical assessment right? So if the app can also help you measure your hamstring flexibility, your spinal flexibility, all things we do in a pre-fit physical exam, then we're going to have a better chance of that automated bike fit actually being useful. The downside to all of them that I've seen to this point, none of them are gathering data from the front view, right? We, there's the XY plane, which is side, and there's the Z plane, which is from the front, so none of them are gathering data from the Z-plane. The Z-plane is crucial. Now, can we automate Z-plane? I think we probably can. Um, it, it, it looks at foot dynamics. It looks at knee-hip foot alignment. Uh, it looks at medial lateral knee travel from the Z-plane, hip rock. All of those things cannot be seen from the side view. So if there's a if there's a nerd out there that's working on an automated bike fit system, it needs to assess the Z plane or the front view so that you can get your hip, knee, foot alignment as part of it. All of them that I've seen from now, from this point, or have been from the XY plane. So I just don't think we can take a really good interpreter of the subject and the data out of the equation. Anything automated will always use an algorithm or looking for the bell-shaped curve of data. Is is AI better than that? I don't know. That's not my, that's not my generation.
0: <laughs> when you're working with the big bike manufacturers, I know you spent a lot of time inside and specialized developing you know, a lot of their in house systems. How receptive are they to incorporating ergonomics and bike mechanics into frame designs?
1: Well, specialized, uh, and I don't want to over, oversell them, but um, I mean, their motto is innovate or die. And, I, and they listened. I mean, they—they, they, I gave them some pretty crazy ideas in the Roubaix bike. I mean, right? So I, I think Specialized likes to be at the bloody tip of the sword. Most bike companies like to be behind that bloody tip a little bit. They want Specialized to fail or succeed before they end up copying them. If you look at saddle design, Dr. Roger Minkow and I, were the ergonomic designers for the saddles that specialized. And I would tell you that that we helped eradicate erectile dysfunction and its association with cycling with saddle design. And if you look at all the companies now that make good quality saddles, they look a lot alike, right? I mean, one company was able to change the industry toward improving ergonomics, um, whether it be shoes and arch support and orthotics. Whether it be saddles, whether it be gloves, uh, riser bars, so I, I, I think my greatest input has been with Specialized, and and they listened. Uh, I have to I have to give them credit that they, they they listened. We experimented, and we were usually at the bloody tip of the sword.
0: <laughs> you mentioned erectile dysfunction, and it just hits home to me how transformative your work has been for people. It's literally given them the ability to ride a bike when previously they would candidate in and started running before working with both elites and amateurs is there any transformational stories that stick in your mind as you're nearing the end of that uh, phase of your career now where you made a remarkable difference in someone's either performance or quality of life
1: the the last big project I worked on was to eradicate or help eradicate labial dysfunction labial disfigurement in women and it occurred to me that it came to my attention that women were being disfigured by the bicycle saddle and by aggressive positions and the labias were being enlarged and scarred and ultimately were being, uh, having corrective surgery by plastic surgeons to reduce the scarring in their, in their genitalia. Some of them returned to the bike. Some of them didn't. And I I don't want to, um, let's just say there is a multi-time world champion out there that we were able to create her position, a new position, guide her through the surgical process of, of labial scarring reduction, and back to the point where she's back winning world championships again. And, and when they say you saved my career, uh, and other women now come to me and say, wow, you know, I could only ride one day a week and I'm riding with my husband five days a week. and, yeah, that, that, um, that does your heart good. You know, that's really, so that was my last project. And, and that's the one that's most imprinted on me at the moment is keeping women from needing surgery or keeping women off their bikes.
0: What do you want your legacy to be?
1: I don't think that's for me to say. Um, I want there to be one. I've worked hard, you know, history always tells. Yeah. Uh, I'll leave, I'll leave that to the podcasters
0: of the world dr andrew i've absolutely loved this conversation thank you very much for your time
1: you're very welcome
0: thank you for listening to today's podcast have you ever wondered how good you could actually be each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work family and social obligations but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals